Hello and welcome to The Shore, a meeting place for people in film. I'm Dominie Anderson. Each episode, I meet with women across the film and television sector to discuss their careers, the best and worst advice they ever received, and what they want for the next generation of women in film. Today I am joined by Stephanie Goldman. Stephanie's many credits include Station Eleven, Grand Army, Designated Survivor, and Shadowhunters. Stephanie is a producer at Tractive Beam Productions and now splits her time between Toronto and LA. Stephanie, thank you for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you, Dominique, <laughs> for inviting me. Uh, oh, really course. exciting to sit down and talk to you. Always wanted to be on a podcast, so first one ever. I'm here to fulfill dreams. That's thank you. my number one priority in life. Yes. 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 Okay, so a little bit of background. Why film and television for you? When did that become the thing that you wanted to pursue or do or were you always drawn to it? I mean, definitely always drawn to it, obsessed with movies and TV shows. Not a cinephile, though. Couldn't list, you know, all the the classics, nothing like that. So I that's hate not... the word cinephile. I think it has really weird, like, incel film bro, like, connotations. Like, okay, okay. I feel like cinephiles are always trying to, like, shame you for not seeing some obscure, like, film. Yeah. It's like... There's so much cinema. <laughs> yeah, I guess I never like, really, like, thought about it that way. I just always preface any sort of conversation like that with, I'm not a cinephile, so don't don't ask me about, you know, if mm-hmm. I've watched or references. Like, I, I won't get them. I'm yeah. just not there for it. But I don't know. I was, I've always wanted to be in film. I didn't study film. I didn't go to film school. I sort of thought about that and then it just didn't really appeal to me. I kind of had other interests in terms of like education wise. Also, I've never been overly creative. That's never been my forte. So the idea of going to school and doing a creative sort of fine artsy program just did not feel like a place I would succeed. But yeah, I really always wanted to do it. And then eventually when I did graduate school, it felt like the challenge I was ready to pursue just to see if I could get in Mm -hmm. at first and then eventually see if I could actually make money that way and like have a, you know, sustainable life that way. Yeah. So how did you get in? So you said you didn't have any training. So did you just find a job? Like how did you get in, I guess? How, what was your in? Yeah. I, like I said, I graduated school, a good friend of mine, we kind of had a similar sort of feeling about the industry. She is a creative, like a writer type, but we were graduating at the same time, like our undergrad, and did our research and kind of thought like, well, we wanna move somewhere interesting, but also be able to try this because we'd both gone to school in kind of our like high school hometown. Mm -hmm. So it was a good excuse to move somewhere while also- That was to Vancouver, right? It was to Vancouver, yes. So we moved to Vancouver at the time that was the busiest industry in Canada. Toronto wasn't having the same kind of success as Vancouver. And uh, yeah, again, did our research, looked at, you know, the union stuff, the Directors Guild of Canada. I mean, emailed every single person on that list just to see if they needed any kind of help. Tried to like, you know, you could find all these resumes online. So tried to like copy the the format of these resumes and just email people and, and they needed help. So we decided, we're like, okay, we're going to move there and then we're going to be able to actually respond to these <laughs> messages. <laughs> And do that. So started on set as like a locations PA in Vancouver, which 
there are so many opportunities as locations PA. They just need so many people. It's yeah, that's a like lot when of I jobs. started when I started as a set PA because it was the same thing. It was just when Toronto was starting to get busy and they just always needed people. They always needed a body to just like exactly. watch some door. Um, exactly. But then the rest of the time, you know, you can watch people do their job or whatever. I mean, you yeah. can learn. I actually, I think it was such a great way to learn. Like, I and I had people who really agree. taught me. So, yeah, you know, but yeah, once I was kind of. Yeah, it, it was a great way to learn for me and my and my friend Sarah at the time what we didn't want to do in film for sure. Like that was that was a huge thing, but it it was a great way to understand departments. And then in Vancouver, they do it like locations and set are kind of together, so you kind of start going up the AD route, which is mm -hmm. the the direction we started going and working as basically ads out there and understanding set from that space which was was really cool incredibly valuable and then eventually when when we both decided to transition away from that like came to the office setting with a lot more knowledge than i think other people had come to the office setting and mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of nice so yeah i learned a lot but it, you know the hours are tough it's it's really a difficult lifestyle being in that position in vancouver specifically they you know, in Toronto, we shoot crazy hours, but there I've never experienced that oh, wow. like we did there. And I don't know, you have an experience in Vancouver though, right? You you did work out there or am I? No, no, okay, okay. I, just, I went to school on Vancouver Island. Okay, okay, yes. Um, but I didn't do anything there, no. I went back to Australia and then I came straight yeah. to Toronto. Yeah. And, uh, and then I guess I kind of did the opposite because I started in the office right. and then I went to set for Interesting. years and years and then I went and then I went back which but I could I, also see being extremely valuable kind of taking that there and yeah I think the cross learning is really valuable and I think people like it's the systems right now aren't really set up for it because you start <laughs> it's like choosing like your major when you're straight out of high school you know it's exactly like you start in one thing and then you have to go on this certain route and they're like you do this this and this and then you just you know you're in one stream and you just progress mm -hmm. which is really cool if you know exactly what you want to do but I yeah. think for most people it's like I think most people getting into tv and film don't really know like how it's made or what those jobs will be like like I don't yeah. think you know until you get in and you watch it and you see and you think oh that might interest me or this is this totally sucks or you know whatever your your strengths are and yeah, I always find it funny that's like when I joined the art department because some people always, you know, they're like, oh, you haven't like been in the art department for very long or like, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, but I've done like eight years on, on set. And I worked Absolutely. with people in the art department who had never stepped foot on a set before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you know how to design something? Like, how do you know how the crew's going to need to use it? How do you like, Absolutely. Like, you need to, I think, have some understanding of it, but... A lot of people, a lot of people don't, but I, I, for me personally, I think it really helps. And I think everyone who's made that jump and has changed midstreamed in whatever way, yeah, they're, they're happier yeah. <laughs> that they've changed, but also, uh, yeah, it really benefits them. Like I knew I was never, ever going to be a first AD. I never, mm -hmm. ever wanted to mm -hmm. do it. I just had no desire to run the set. I liked when I was a set PA and I liked running trailers, but yeah, I never wanted to, I knew that that was like a short term gig I just didn't know where it would lead to after yeah I mean yeah. I think I had a very similar ish experience in that I mean I knew very quickly I'm not going to be going the AD route long term and just kind of trying to get 
some experience in doing that. But I mean, to me, that really is the like film school. I'm kind of, uh, I'm not really that big into film school, probably because it's like a lot of theory and it's great when someone gets to have like a practical experience at film school and there's, there's specific things you can learn. But uh, for me and probably a lot of other people in the industry would benefit, especially the ones in a lot of those different departments would be just to be trying different areas of the industry, being in the office, being on set and just doing that a little bit. That's incredibly valuable in my opinion. Yeah, so you're a little more pro on the job training. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Do you notice a gender divide in the industry? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Big question. Wow, let's just go into it. Just let's just dive right in. Let's get the elephant out of the room. Yeah, I mean, elephant is always in the room. Yes. Um gender divide. I don't know if I want to say the word divide. I don't know that I have a better word. It is a distinction or do you notice a difference or definitely. You know, do you think it makes an impact or that it's that it's a factor still? Because there are definitely. some people who, of course, will be like, it's not a factor anymore. Yeah, no. And you know what? I think like when I first stepped into the industry, however many years ago that was, I think I had graduated in like 2014 and then went right away to work trying to do this. Um, I was like ignorant or naive and thinking that like I had yet to have any kind of experience where um, I felt any level of inequality because I was a woman or, or anything like that and very quickly realized that that is not the case. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, right away, the first experience I think I had like in film that made me realize that was just the conversation and languages that were being used, language that was being used with some of my like the other PAs, the male PAs and this idea that they might want to go be closer to set because they're aspiring directors. But the assumption that like me or my like female colleagues, we're just not going to be interested in that. We're probably just here to make some money and like, I don't know, maybe find our way to wardrobe or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I mean, that wasn't said, you know, explicitly, but uh, yeah, again, became very clear when, you know, you'd have a someone wanted to like reward you for the day and they'd be like, hey, Mark, you want to go and stand near the director? Why don't you post up there? Because you'll get to see the action. And it's like, what? That's really you're going to think that I want to stand out here for 16 hours just because? Yeah, that I wouldn't have like ambitions in that direction. So that was that was kind of my very first sort of realization and. Um, yeah, definitely a huge divide of some kind. Do you think that it's over the time you've been in the industry, do you think it's gotten better or worse and or has it has your view just changed on it? Because for me, I think it's the same. I no, I actually noticed it less when I started, mm -hmm. maybe just because a grunt worker is a grunt worker. Like yes. it's kind of very like <laughs> exactly. you're all at the bottom. Exactly. Um, but it actually became more apparent to me as I like as I got into positions any positions of power like that's actually where I noticed it like that's the first you know you know right, but it really course, it course. really stood out to me like later I probably would have been in the first five years been like oh no it's like it's kind of all okay like yeah how is your what do you think of that like has it changed do you think it's getting better do you think yeah it's it's tough I mean I want to say yes it's probably getting better I think throughout my entire time in the industry there's been sort of periods of when I don't notice it as much. And then like you kind of shift positions or are in a in a 
project long enough or with a team long enough and then you start to see it again mm-hmm. and you kind of like reobserve it. I don't, it's, it's hard for me to say. I want to say that it's getting better, but I think ultimately my experience is getting sort of better and that's maybe more situational than anything. And that's mm-hmm. finding, trying to push myself away from the types of like leadership that don't uh, foster an environment or culture for, and, and specifically for women is what I obviously lean into and understand the most, but diversity as a whole. And that's, that's a big thing. Um, yeah, for me, a little bit better. And that is a lot to do with, you know, the person that I'm working with now and him actually being interested in the conversation and his intellect being at such a high level and uh, his compassion and his understanding and a true interest in change. So I don't know. I, I think I think better. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to find people like being able to choose, obviously, who you work with is we don't get to do that very often. We can sometimes, you know, yeah. to and to differing degrees. But yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's like the best experiences I've had have been with really great people. And if I would choose, I would choose to work with them again, which is maybe not making like systemic change, you know. Right, but, right. Um, exactly. But of course, yeah. you're trying to find the best experience for yourself because nobody wants to go to work in them. Yeah. And I mean, it is a, it's a constant fight, even even with this incredible person that I get to work with and under and as a team now. Uh, we're constantly having the conversation is constantly on the table and yeah I mean it all still exists and I'm constantly sort of educating him in that direction Mm -hmm. but he's open to it so it's it's better it's not uh I'm not playing the kind of like angry frustrated woman who is you know ready to speak up which you know I've been that role before and obviously resent that kind of idea of what that is and that's a very clear obvious problem that we're all you know yeah, I'm sure you understand that. You're definitely someone who I I believe speaks up and yeah. yeah, I think I still find it really shocking how much women's voices aren't just heard in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um and I still find it really strange and still just the assumptions that people make if it's just <laughs> if it's just a room full of men and I still think when like I'll just walk into a room and it'll all like magically be be better, but it it isn't. And yeah, and I've been that person for a really long time doing, you know, in some positions and working with some people. Um, and it's true, you get into like, you're, you become, uh, or you get characterized as like this, nag, like a gender nag, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like you're there like waving a rolling pin at them yeah. or something, you know, and it's just like, no, I just would love it if you stopped referring to each other as bro in this meeting. 100%. Because we're, cause we're not all bros. Like it's just, 100%. it's like just, you know, or... I mean, I would... language is huge. The The language that's being used in that, they, you know, there's an immediate door kind of closed, even if you're in the meeting, when you start to use that language, whether it's in person in a meeting, or I've seen it so many times on emails, and it's just kind of, you know, I would never address my female colleagues or whoever as, hey, hey, girl, I honestly don't like that. I don't. Yeah, that's it. it, it is harmless, ultimately. But I think going both ways, like, I don't think, I don't know. It just something doesn't feel right when, yeah, you're saying thanks, bro. Thanks, man. Hey, man. You know, it's it's a little too casual and maybe that feels a bit uptight, but um, well, it I does think close something. Yeah. I think also the casualness comes from like it's that boys club thing, right? It's not yeah. casual because everyone's like really chill. It's casual because <laughs> it's casual because this is a group of people who can get away with it. Anything, yes. including yes. being casual. Exactly. Well, that's it, including being casual. That feels incredibly important that that's that's the thing. Yeah, because 
the other thing is if I even if all those men if I sent them email be like hey bro can I get this budget increase like <laughs> you know I can't do that even mm-hmm. if even if the, that the word wasn't the problem you know it, yeah it's the this assumption of casualness or buddy buddiness that I don't think is it's it's not an open playing field and it's not open to us no so exactly. it's like well if it's not open then just everybody then everybody stop yeah yeah and get rid of it you know yeah. like it's really unnecessary yeah we're trying to do a job I thought yes exactly what's some work that you've done oh, that God. you're particularly proud of or just something where you've had the most fun um yeah I mean I did this show station 11 which ultimately opened a million doors for me so incredibly proud of that but that was a really great tough fun project for me just kind of and and I was working the showrunner of that show is the is the person I've been working with now who is so eager to to understand me and other people and all that so that made the experience incredible yeah, I mean, what did I love about that? I think I got to actually, for once, show that I have knowledge and skill and have learned many things in the industry and had so much trust from a person mm-hmm. at such a high level. And that felt so good. And then to also be proud of myself because I was able to deliver mm-hmm. on all of those. So that was, you know, there is still, I'm sure everyone sort of has imposter syndrome and that kind of thing. And I don't actually feel that severely like the imposter syndrome thing, even though I do feel like there was sort of a quick-ish ascension in some way, it, it does feel earned. And I don't know, in that project, I, I got to kind of show a lot of what I can do. And mm-hmm. that felt really, really good, even though it was incredibly tough. The project was really tough for a lot of people. And, you know, we filmed it during a pandemic, which adds a lot um yeah the trust is huge and mm-hmm. just I think people's belief in you I know that that's strange like I can feel the difference for yeah sure. when yeah. someone's like go do this thing but I don't really think that you're going to be able to do it or whatever or and go to this thing I'm gonna never follow up because I assume that you've done it brilliantly and you yeah know, yeah and it can feel you can it feels really great and I I felt the difference I know that when I started out directing it was like that yeah too yeah, I was actually trusted more by the people <laughs> who knew it was my first time art directing than later when I had art directed more and then worked That's with more so people. That's so interesting. Uh, but, it's a, but it's that changing, it's whether, it's the feeling of whether people believe in you and trust that you can do your job and all yeah. those things and that um, is multifaceted. Absolutely. For sure. But yeah. Incredibly rewarding too when, when you do get to feel that. Yeah, there's something very satisfying. I mean, yeah, and it, it is multifaceted too in the sense that I feel really good when I have all this trust within a project or within a team or in my work but also it feels really good to look on the outside and say oh I actually did make a career out of this and and a lot of people can't Mm -hmm. and that's that is like a really you know sometimes when I think about that I get a little like high off that too yeah and that feels good that you were able to start your own life and make money this way and do this kind of like fun work and touch really cool projects and actually living that I don't know I mean, that sounds kind of cheesy, but it, but it feels really real to me. Yeah. No, and even I when I go to L.A., I feel that I'm kind of not I, I have the I don't know if it's the luxury or privilege or whatever, but I get to go to Los Angeles and work there and not struggle. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to, like, completely be a part of the, like, intense hustle culture that probably a lot of people feel when they go to L.A. I've kind of get to have this really beautiful experience of almost being invited there. And but that's I think nice. That that- 
Um, or I think it's worth noting that you already did your hustle, you know? And I think that that's something also that I'm just interested in, you know, in people's kind of career development. Yeah. yeah. Even this idea that you would have to go to LA to hustle. It's like, but you did that mm -hmm. 10 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. You know, you started out hustling. Like that's you true. had that phase and then, yeah. you know, it's been accumulative. Mm -hmm. But I agree. It was a hustle and it is. And I think maybe the reason it also feels like it moved sort of quickly, although it doesn't feel that quick to me because it has been a long time is, you know, putting a lot in knowing when to walk away from something mm -hmm. made the biggest difference too. I didn't sit as like an onset PA for five years. You know, I knew when my time was up and that I was no longer gaining what I needed to and needed to kind of like shift laterally or whatever, just shift away from it and not being super afraid of uh, undoing what I'd already built because that, that kind of experience still existed. But that was, that was scary too. I mean, doing that. But I think yeah. that's a, a really big thing that a lot of people get stuck in, especially because this career is so, it's not really structured and it's unpredictable and uh, you just, you want to stay somewhere that feels safe, but there's maybe not a lot of growth. So, mm -hmm. um, but people will hustle in the same space for 10 years and wonder why nothing has happened too. Yeah. Or, or it feels like a hustle because it's just like, they don't really move up and they're not really sure why and feels it feels sort of off topic but on topic at the same time so <laughs> no i love it yeah um when you're coming up did you have mentors yeah um yeah i mean i definitely did i have one sort of prominent mentor that i worked with here in toronto in in the production office space and uh yes doing a lot of the like teaching this is how how you do something but also kind of being the first person in the industry to make me feel like I was trusted and seen. And that made a big difference. I think I'm a smart person and I think it is sometimes actually really tough to show that in this industry. I don't think I ever imagined myself working necessarily in a place where you didn't have to have had an education. And I've spent a lot of time in this kind of like intellectual space in my life, whether that's just because of like my parents or, you know, going to school and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it feels weirdly, <laughs> I don't know how to articulate this. It feels weirdly frustrating to like enter the industry doing grunt work and no one really cares how smart you are and they don't really want to notice. They just want to make sure you can do that specific job. Mm -hmm. So I think finally feeling seen for something I felt I was good at, which is like, I don't know, in an office space, actually learning and understanding paperwork very quickly because that felt like an, you know, a no brainer to me once someone was interested in teaching mm -hmm. me and then eventually trusting me very quickly. That's sort of what one kind of mentor offered me. And then also teaching me how to be resourceful in the industry and not being afraid to ask questions and that that's just as important and being a little bit vulnerable, but also, yes, I've had mentors, had a very prominent one. She's, you know, we're still great friends to this day. And it's interesting actually you say the education thing because it, it I don't want that to come off no, like a no, weird superior thing because it's not, and it maybe sounded that way, but it's, it's really not. It's just really the only space I ever knew before coming into the industry. So I didn't understand. No, I find it really interesting because I know that when I was in the art department and somebody said to me, you know, the trainee was getting coffee and they were like, you know, that person has an architecture degree, you know, and they're going and getting coffee. Right. And it was like, yeah, that's how this works because 
because it's like, yes, you do want your architecture skills. And it's like, yes, that person is smart, but you're right. It's like, I don't need those skills right now. No. Right now, somebody has to go get the coffee. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can end up doing grunt work that you're totally not, you're totally overqualified. Of course. For, you know, I'm also a big believer in like, you kind of have to do it. Not that Absolutely. everyone has to start at the bottom, but I think... To, Even if it's for a month, I think you have to. You have to see it. I mean, just to be able to be good. I at, think so too. I think you have to know how people will treat you, even yes. if it's horribly. Um, I think you have to know all the absolutely stupid, tiny things that people do care about or will judge you for. And again, they might be just going to your total list of things that you want to change about the industry. Like mm -hmm. they're not necessarily great things, all of those. But I think it is important. And also just you have to learn that like a lot of time you have to do shit you don't want to do. Like, Absolutely. You have to do shit you don't want to do. <laughs> and that's a life like, lesson too. It's, you know, it's not just in work. It's a life lesson. Totally. It just, sometimes you have to be the person to go and get the coffee. But it know? also is a real job to have to do those things. This isn't a made up position that we're just trying to get, feed people in entry level. It's like, we actually do need someone to get that coffee and we need someone to be doing that stuff and understanding why you need that. It doesn't matter what like education I have. This is how I have to learn why those needs exist and how that helps the, you know, the kind of pipeline or whatever. And it does, it makes a big difference. And, you know, for a long period of time, I worked in the production office with a team below me and having to try to explain to them why it was important. And even though sometimes it didn't feel good, it just, it, it matters. Mm -hmm. And you do have ways of, you know, ultimately there are ways to showcase your intelligence and what you bring to the table when you kind of, master that stuff just how quickly do you want to be okay with doing that stuff and then yeah there, there is opportunity within there obviously because the majority of us have come up that way so for sure i mean i like, think you're you're pointing out the very the most important thing of all of it which is not really whether you have an education or not but really your interest ability and openness to learn it's just bottom line feels like the most important thing that got me here and when i when i work with someone below me and think that they're going to do really well it's because i can see that they're they have that mm -hmm. they're like interested in learning they're observing they're you know all of that kind of stuff it doesn't ultimately matter what their education was is what's the best piece of advice you've received um oh that's tough i don't know if there's one best piece of advice i can tell you mine well i can tell you a piece that's stuck with me forever yeah tell okay me. you start so I'll start. So this is actually a family friend. It was years ago. It was when I was a teenager and I wanted to still be an actor, but it's always stuck with me. And she was an actress. She's like, if there's anything else you want to do, if you want to be an actress, but also this, if you want to be like, if there's other things you want to do, she's like, go do those. Hmm. Because being an actor is really hard. Like it has to be the thing that you want to do because there'll be highs but there's going to be lows so it's like if you also want to if you want to be an actor for 10 years and then also run a company doing this it's like just go run the company that's amazing and i think i've always remembered it because even though what i've done in film has changed it's the only thing i've ever wanted to do so every time it's been really hard every time it's like like i feel like that's why it hasn't kicked it hasn't succeeded in kicking me out or mm -hmm. pushing me out because mm -hmm. it is what i'm want to do and so I'm gonna be in it you know I mean I've received other little bits of advice you know of course but that's the best piece of advice yeah that's great received. advice if you don't have good advice you don't know I do you know I do I do have something and I I think I've received a lot of good advice 
throughout my career or there's even like pieces of advice I've developed. But the, but this this mentor here in Toronto, Heather, her name's Heather, she would often tell me we would talk forever and she'd always listen to my maybe not dreams, but just kind of ideas or or plans or sort of what I had hoped one thing would turn into into another thing and always reminding me that like we should not look too far into the future about what what next step we really wanted like don't look five six steps ahead because it just changes so much that you can't control it and ultimately like your next step might just lead to something better so what you thought you wanted you know Mm -hmm. five steps ago just isn't it's just not going to be that and that's completely true I've seen it um, you know I've experienced it so many times and that kind of I mean I'm the kind of person that will try to overthink a situation and look too far ahead and predict what I think is like an obvious prediction of what the outcome will be if x y z whatever happens and this leads to this and I actually think I'm kind of good at that sort of having that idea of like uh how something could turn out, but she she was exactly right. You kind of have to look maybe two steps ahead and say this, be open to this opportunity because it could open this door and and go as far as that, but don't be okay with this opportunity opening that door that will then lead to that door and hope that these five things go right. And I'm sure that's just also really good life advice, but I've never experienced that more than in film and, you know, We've had just her and I together. I've had a lot of those experiences. We were on, you know, looking too far in the future. We were all on a show together that everyone thought for sure was being picked up for another season. And we're acting that way. And which was, you know, in hindsight, kind of foolish. And whether it was naive or not, it's hard to know. I wasn't in the room with, you know, the high level producers (laughs) knowing what the conversation looked like. Um, But, you know, we definitely envisioned our next year and what that would look like. And you can't even do that. You just can't even do that. I think that's true. I think, yeah, the idea that you can plan or have an idea what the next few years will look like or some, the next kinds of jobs or the kind of things, but just being open to that totally changing. Absolutely. Because you never know. And yeah, and shows get picked up and they get canceled and all the other regular (laughs) writers go on strike. Writers go on strike. You know, all the other things that happen, which, yeah, can make it really unpredictable for sure. And it's destabilizing, but also kind of accepting that hard fact, truth, whatever. It's definitely helped me in my career because a lot of people aren't ready to to accept that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, we did best. So what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I was working with someone here in Toronto. She's so lovely. Duh quite a bit older than me and um, at the time was maybe only about a pos- position or two above me and had been in the industry for a long time, has kids and, and all of that. But she, you know, I was feeling a situation at work, which was sort of a gender inequality type thing. And it was, be- it was kind of spiral, like becoming bigger and bigger and more and more apparent in a way that was just so, so tough and so frustrating. And you know, she kind of, and I understand where this is coming from. So, you know, n- nothing negative in her direction and the type of industry that she grew up in. But she basically said, you have to ignore it. You have to ignore all of it and keep your head down and you have to ignore it. And you just, you have to ignore it. It's such a, for me, and I don't know if, if you found yeah. this, but um, it's such a, that generation of mm-hmm. women in the industry and I it's the same thing I can understand it Mm because I understand how they came up in a way which was going more Mm -hmm. like assimilating you know they really had to just 
they really had to be one of the boys, you know, and really blend. And that is how that generation figured out how to get in. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of no shade. That's how you did it. Yeah. And you got in and you fought really hard for yeah. it. Um, but I, but it's terrible advice. It is. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible thing to perpetuate. Yeah. And that happened with me last year. Same thing. I had, a, well, it was a different situation, but mm-hmm. with uh, an older generation uh, film woman and, you know, she was like, you can't do this, this and this. And I got very upset at her about it. Mm-hmm. And when we discussed it afterwards, she said to me, she's like, I actually don't even know why I said that to you. Like, this is the kind of thing that was said to me when I right. started and I hated it. And I was like, so then why are you saying it to me? Because you hated when, you know, she'd be like, oh, yeah. people always told me I was too loud and I fucking hated it. I'm like, well, then why are you telling me I'm too loud? Yeah. Like, we don't, like, surely we can, we can stop that now, right? You know, but, but it does really get perpetuated. And I, <laughs> I hope that I'm not doing that for the next no. generation. You know, it's something I try and be cognizant of, but um, I think that that's a, I think that exists a lot. Of course. And it's hard because, of course, those are people who are in positions of power now because they've been in the industry for 30 yeah. years or whatever. You know, you know, these are people who you do go to for help, legitimate help like yes. or disciplinary action, yes. like legitimate, this is a problem and it yes. has to be solved. But they didn't come up through an industry where that happened. But, yeah, it's like, fuck, we've got to fucking stop that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't – it was – it felt like – hurtful advice at the time although I do understand again kind of the industry that she came up in and um I know that it was genuinely her trying to protect me that there was like a lot of like Mm -hmm. caring toward me and that that was a form of protection like this is not going to this battle is not going to be worth it and it's obviously bothering you I will say I did not follow the advice which was the best thing I ever could have done because that kind of specific moment was very much a catalyst for what led me to like the biggest opportunity I've ever had in the industry like the, it wasn't so far off so I, I'm glad I went with my instincts and but but I know it's it was a privilege in a lot of ways for me to not have to follow that advice to also feel confident in myself and being as young as I was still with like a lot of time you know again she was much older than me but but not that much higher above me truly so also you know I very quickly surpassed the highest level of position she had been in probably because I did try to know when to leave and know when to pick my battles I think Mm -hmm. and but it wasn't great advice and I would hope that I don't give similar advice to others but I I definitely can see how that happens and I do see her and her really good intention Mm -hmm. with giving that advice but it felt very wrong to me like right away so I didn't really sit with it too long but um. and you're right like as you said you know I hope I don't give that advice to others or try not to that I need to take the time to think about that and make sure I don't do that as well because I do not preach but sometimes when I do when I do have a team below me there is some language used that's kind of like stay in your lane because that's an important thing too you do kind of have to stay in your lane Mm -hmm. to some extent but certain battles you need to sort of fight and uh nothing whatever the cliche term is nothing can change unless you try to change it or nothing changes if it doesn't change and that's really (laughs) true too I can't expect change if I'm not gonna if I'm gonna sit back and let it happen I really can't expect 
anything to change. So that I think ultimately that idea is what pushed me away from like that specific advice of like, let it be. Yeah. Because it was just kind of like, I cannot stomach the idea of working in future in this kind of environment where this is the divide. This is the situation. So if I'm not trying to do something. I don't really know how I, I'm not helping myself or others. Yeah. And I feel strongly about it. You know, there are battles to not pick and to know like there are strategic times when to have that fight or that conversation. But I guess that is the one lesson to be taken from the writer's strike. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't get things without fighting for them most of the time. It's like, yeah, of course, you have to pick your battles and there's different that you know varies depending on who you are and your situation and those kinds of things. But but yeah, it's like but if nobody does that, then it's absolutely it just it just keeps going forever absolutely and you do kind of have to give not benefit of the doubt but kind of for me anyways for me to move forward or to leave a situation when I finally felt like I've put everything into it is that I've actively tried to do the most of what I can do and a part of that is attempting to educate or have the conversation about what the problem is and if you don't try to do that and hope something changes that that just doesn't I don't know how you can feel good walking away from something so like in that specific time I mustered up the courage to have a really tough conversation with a boss and just say everything that felt important and uh even though I knew it was kind of like a hard pill to swallow and I feel grateful that that person was interested in listening for an hour or two However, it was very clear nothing was going to change, and that made me feel okay that I could leave and, and move on to other things. But I also feel really good about that decision to offer up my perspective and allow that person a chance to hear. And even though it probably took a long time to digest, and I can't you know, fault that person for not making immediate change because it's complicated too with leaders in, in those roles, and they sometimes can't don't have the courage to make that change, really can't see it. Their careers are on the line, all of that kind of stuff. It's incredibly complicated, but I think ultimately feeling good about having tried to say it, not just bottle it in and like think that I know it's right and then just like say, fuck off, guys. And like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. I could never felt okay with that version of it either. So I don't know, giving an opportunity for someone to listen and understand whether or not they're ready to absorb it is not, is a different issue in a sense. For myself, it was, it's always going to be important to like, have said the thing. Yeah. Carefully, you know, cautiously, not just out of complete, uh, intense emotion, but. Totally. And also, I think that, you know, it's maybe giving a little bit more benefit of the doubt or maybe too much generosity to a systemic problem. Um, but that's what we do. That's kind of also how we were raised, right. raised right. to be. <laughs> right. Um, you know, because I think that, yeah, when someone comes to you with a problem, they should fix it. But you're right. Not everyone has the capability to do it. And to recognize that is really important. And also, like, some people are just not going to be people that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, like abusive or that it's a, it might not even be like a toxic environment or anything you know mm-hmm. it's just like the way that it works doesn't work and being able to recognize all those different ways I think is good too because sometimes you can work with people you really like but it's not good for you I think the only other thing I'd add to it is that I think it is really important to be able to find people that you can have that conversation with and it might not be like it might be a middle person you know it might not be like 
not everyone has to sit down with like the producer and be like, these are all the problems that I'm facing, you know? Absolutely. But I think that to be in an environment where you have someone that you can go to that will actually listen and tell you the facts of like, well, this is going to happen or this isn't. And you know, these are the decisions that you can make from that is, I think that's really like, I mean, I think that that's good. I think that in years past, or I think I've worked on projects where, no, I know, not I think, where I never, I just didn't have someone who would actually even sit down and listen to what that would be, you yeah. know, to what the problems are. So that's, it's good, you know, but it's like, I think that in, it's kind of in, in encouraging to speak, people to speak out, mm-hmm. you know, or to speak up, you know, it's the encouraging also that you have to listen. Yeah. Like, yeah. To create an environment where people are listened to, even if you can't create an environment where the things can be solved in that moment, I feel like that's maybe, I don't know, a middle ground or a step in the right direction. I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. And also kind of, not to transition this conversation in a different direction, no, but there's it. a lot of a huge thing of why I'm excited to have the current role and opportunity and like some level of power that I get to have is because I want to provide that to a film environment, mm-hmm. like a person that people, you know, feel like is observing, wants to listen, wants to make change at the human level, not just the you know, I care about the creative a lot. And that is also an incredibly important part of my role and on any project that I'm, I'm working on to protect and support the creative. But I, I want to be able to help be a voice and power where I never really got to have that. I got to have it a little bit and probably more than most. But, um, you know, a producer title goes a long way mm-hmm. with that. And I feel comfortable and confident in using that kind of title for for a lot of that reason and and fostering that environment or culture of listening and speaking to each other and everyone feeling seen and heard and sometimes you can't change everything like you said it is about just having someone having the environment where we listen to each other but yeah I mean I think that that because I don't want it to sound like you can't change things on this. No, no. But no, I think it, I don't think it sounds that way. Okay, great. You know, it snowballs, you know, because I think when people feel like they're listened to, then they all listen to other people. Like I think once you start putting in, um, for me, it's lots of tenants of like community care, you know, and I think once you start infusing that into it, just being like, this is a system where we think people are people. Of course. And then of course that's going to change. And I think have a, a ripple effect. And it's what you the know? industry really does need. I mean, we we talk about it all the time. We talk about it when we're like in the trenches at work and we're working crazy hours and that feels wrong and everyone's mental health is kind of depleted and mm-hmm. um, that that sort of feeling. But uh, I forget what I was going to say. Um, Who inspires you? Oh, that's a tough one. I definitely don't have one person inspiring me I mean it's constant like constantly when I'm having experience and I mean is this inspires me in film or in life or both I mean um I think it can be anyway really you know what inspires you in terms of I guess what drives you know your passion for film still like what Mm -hmm. keeps you coming back what do you see in life or in film that's like yeah I still want to do this as opposed to I don't know. Well, I'm here now or whatever. You know, I think most people stay in film because you're still want something or still want to. Yeah. I don't want to say necessarily maybe achieves the wrong word, but 
I don't know. I don't have a, I don't tend to, you know, once in a blue moon, I'll kind of find a sort of a public figure that inspires me, but it really is just kind of the people in my life that I end up working with. I mean, I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by, you know, my mentor, Heather, and I'm always inspired by her. I'm inspired by my boss who listens to me. That feels inspiring that, you know, I think sometimes I feel inspired by myself that I could have set goals and achieve them and that like it feels like none of this is impossible anymore and constantly meeting people that inspire me. I'm inspired by all of the creative people again, even though I am not and I need to stop saying I'm not creative. My like team in LA is always like Steph you have to stop saying that that's just not true but that is because like I know my strengths and my forte and also where I would like to be of importance now but I'm massively inspired by all of the the people in like film space that are trying so hard creatively and still haven't quite gotten what they you know financial compensation for it and the exposure that they deserve and all of that. And then they're just their continued perseverance and all of that. That is massively inspiring to me. Always inspired, really, truly always inspired, but often by my friends and my close circle. So what do you wish that you'd known before you began your journey in film and TV? I don't know. I think like entering the industry, you really have to be like truly excited about and similar to the advice that you received of like, you need, Whatever you want to do first, truly go and do that first. I feel that way about the industry as a whole, not just like acting. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I'm very happy in, I talk about it all the time, actually happy that I studied something else in school that I was excited about because there's no like, what if I kind of chose this after that, even though I always wanted to be in film. I really did. That was always something I wanted to do. Um, really glad that I did kind of put energy elsewhere and built interests elsewhere, but uh, you really have to be committed and ready. And it's not really like half in, half out. If mm -hmm. you want to get to a certain level, I mean, you can work in film within departments kind of just for a job if you want. And I mean, the hours are really long and you can do that and that's fine and come in and out as you please in like lower level positions. But depending on what role you actually hope to have in the industry, it is so much commitment it's insane yeah it's you know it's work it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of work it's a lot of hours yeah <laughs> yeah so, it's gonna be so fucking many hours so like, many hours so many yeah. hours and then when you're not working life is weird <laughs> uh-huh yeah you don't know what to do i mean you have this weird kind of like oh my god who am i one of the best things this is so random but i also think about this a lot one of the best things about doing the grunt work and working as many, like also working like 20 hour days, these like insane amount. Traveling is so easy. Anytime I have to get on a plane for 10 hours, I'm like, that's great. I'm sitting for 10 hours. I used to stand for 20 hours. 10 hours was halfway through my day. Like the perspective or, you know, whatever that that's given me has never left me. Whenever I have a really long, ex I'm like this, the amount of gratitude I have that that does not involve standing in the rain for 20 hours like shuffling actor whatever any of that kind of stuff that has been i just had to say that because i think about that all the time in my life do you consider yourself a leader short answer yes i think so uh always working towards being a better leader i think i mean no one's here to agree or disagree with me i think i probably have some natural ish leadership skills maybe i'm just like maybe it's for attention i don't know <laughs> who knows who knows what it is but i th i think 
Yes, but I don't always flex those until I feel uh, secure. But I think, yes, I think I ultimately am, I think a part of being a good leader is genuinely striving for a space where everyone can feel good about what they're doing. And that feels like it, like one of the highest levels of importance to me in any kind of space, you know, job or otherwise. So I think that probably makes me kind of a good leader. Again, working towards it, also understanding that there's a lot to learn and that I'm not just actually a natural born leader. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't have a desire to be at the top necessarily. Yeah. Like truly at the top, like let's say on a set or in production, like at the showrunner level. I don't completely have that desire to be like leading the pack towards that. But I think the amount of leadership that I feel comfortable in is a space where everyone feels safe with me in it Mm -hmm. and knowing that I will help get us all there whatever the 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 thing is whatever the goal is or the the problem that needs to be solved and that kind of leadership that there's sort of safety and security in in my presence i think that's a version of the kind of leader i am or aspire to be and give people a voice when i can and again i'm only like sort of scratching the surface of that space and like have found myself in this position only for a short period of time so i'm really excited to also see what i can do as a leader and haven't haven't even gotten that that real opportunity yet so i'm also just very excited to see that i'm excited to see it thank you (laughs) that's really kind thank you i am what would you like to do next? I know we talked about not planning too far yeah. ahead, but what's something you'd you know, like to accomplish either next or you know in the future, but you don't know how you'll get there yet is also fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of a two-parter on this one. My first instinct on that question is, for the first time in my life, I do not feel rushed to move to like a higher position. I feel really mm. excited to like truly dive into this position and again, like flex my leadership skills, learn more leadership skills, see what I can do with this kind of new found-ish title and power on multiple sets and taking a longer period of time than I'm used to allowing myself, which is, you know, amazing and really really excited for that. So just kind of, yeah, not trying to move up and up, up higher in the hierarchy and ascend higher necessarily. So that's, that's exciting. That being said, some kind of cool accomplishments or goals. And another huge reason that, you know, another major reason I want to be in the industry is to help people, friends that I believe in creatively make some of their projects and and do that. So I think somehow helping a few really important friends who I think are incredibly talented get some of their voices out there, whether it's in like a short film, like kind of Mm -hmm. reading that separately or uh, finding a space for them in the the bigger, more lucrative industry as a whole, I guess, is Mm -hmm. something as well. But yeah, I mean, I do have creative dreams and goals. They're just not, I definitely did not walk into this industry saying I want to be a writer and director and and doing that so somehow honing my creative in whatever way feels comfortable and eventually making like a handful of passion projects you know directing something five years from now mm-hmm. feels like that would be really exciting I would love to find a space in like episodic television directing just to scratch an itch not to be a career director mm-hmm. but uh 
I'm not, I, I don't do complacent very well and like super comfortable very well. So I, I want to always be growing a little bit and kind of changing it up. But again, really excited to see what this role and what this kind of evolves into for the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's great. Also, I think that the idea of what we we're talking about before, like people think of you in one way. And I think sometimes you just have to like say aloud, like, oh, I'd actually really like to direct episodic television one day and I want to do this thing you know and then people be like oh (laughs) like you know even if it's not like can you please give me a job to direct you know like you don't always have to be asking for things you can just be throwing like kind of throwing things at a wall but people will hear it and then and then people will think of you in that capacity yeah I mean I'm a firm believer in that I mean which doesn't mean that you you want to do it now or you want to leave or anything but just the idea of Instead of letting ourselves become one thing, yes. Why don't we just say all the things that we want to do and yes. see see how that unfolds? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, popular, unpopular opinion. I guess that is kind of where I think like the sort of staying in your lane ish thing is kind of important. Amazing to have all these dreams if you want to be everything, if you want to be a showrunner, but um, knowing. A little bit when it's time to actually express those interests is important too and you know you it's not all about being realistic you have to be somewhat you know dreaming but uh I think that's something I do well is that I I maybe pick the right time to express those interests and in saying it but I think you have to say it like I think you cannot hold that in here is my uh, advice I have some advice okay I have some real advice And I think that is genuinely knowing your strengths and leaning into them when you come into the industry. I think coming in and thinking that you are like the most creative, intelligent person here and thinking that that's going to just like get you through it is just not a good strategy. Like I have creative goals, but I do know my strengths and leaning into those and developing those while also slowly bringing in some of the learning of the creative feels like something really important. And I think that when I've hired a lot of PAs in the past, they don't understand that. They jump in saying like, well, I went to film school and I always chose the the director job or something. And I'm, you know, I'm generalizing that it's not all like that, but really knowing your strengths and what you can do and not just trying to, you need to bring something to the table. You just, you ultimately do. You you know, whatever it is and understanding yourself enough to know what you bring to the table is feels really important and feels like one of the smarter moves I could have made for my career path is to lean into what I know and where I can be helpful and then slowly finding a way to incorporate that in what my bigger goals and dreams are and still still doing that consistently doing that so well I think that that really plays into two things which I thought it was one you're right I mean Every set PA wants to be a director or a showrunner. Most of them want to be a director. Like, everyone you work with is going to have those goals. They're also the most public roles, and so they're the ones that people have. Yes. You know. I mean, happy for you. Great. Yeah, and it's good to know, like, where you want to go, but you're right. It's That's not really – honestly, that's not really helpful to you. No. At this this point because people more are like, great, do you have an intention to detail? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, how how are you with – people like are what you are you organized what are you yeah what are your social skills like can you read the room I yeah mean, how quickly do you answer your phone yes it, truly like I mean truly that's that's yeah, a huge thing yeah and I think these that those will make you better 
in the end. And of I think course. people, I think sometimes that can be, that's maybe missed, you know, it's like, yeah. if you actually do that, you will become a How better. reliable are you? Yeah. It's like, you will become a good d- director because a director has to, yeah, be reliable and answer their phone and cut. Like most of us are doing a job, you know, mm-hmm. we're not flying in and out celebrity styles and just like acting however we want and then leave or whatever you know most of us have to come to a job every day and there's work to be done and it has to be finished and you have to come at this time and you have to finish by this time or else you're gonna cost all this money and you're gonna like you have to be able to know all those things and you have to be able to tell time what do you bring to the table yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I think that's really I think that's really good advice I had never thought of it like that but you're right because when I started it's like what I I bring and it's like (laughs) What I brought was very large theater personality and attention to detail. Attention to detail, but probably organized quite yeah, well. Yeah, those, those things too. But, you know, but also I don't fault it or I don't, um, not fault, I don't deny also that it's like I came with a big personality and I worked with actors and I like, because I came from theater, I already knew how to do really long days while smiling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and how, how to do things when you're really tired yes. and how to just keep going and not to become fucking miserable about it or to take it out on other people because I'd already spent, I don't know, however long in theater doing that. You don't like bitch out someone when you're in the middle of a tech run. Like you just have to stand there and do it. Like, and that was part of it. And people have said that to me even now. They're like, you know, they're like, yes, you're hired because of, you know, these skills. And they're like, but of course you're hired because of who you are. And that's, that's exactly, that's where your strengths lie. And it's, yeah, exactly. Who you are as a person also counts. Yep. Obviously. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Final question. Final question. All right. All right. What do you hope or wish for the next generation of women filmmakers or women entering the industry? Hmm. Oh, big question. I mean, all the things I hope for myself. Mm. Let's start with pay disparity issues. <laughs> That's a big one. I think being taken seriously, you know, as quickly as your male counterparts, mm-hmm. understanding that your competence level is the same, if not more, quite frankly. But, I, you know, I don't want to say that. Just not always having to have this fight. I think the constant, I cannot believe the amount that I still have these conversations. I am incredibly, again, I will reiterate i have so much gratitude to the person i'm working with now because he allows a space for these conversations but it is exhausting to always mm-hmm. have to educate and maybe not correct but explain ambiguous situations and i hope that there is a space for for women in the industry that they don't always have to to do that and that they can just enjoy it a little bit without having to kind of have that fight because I do think it still exists completely. And you may, even like the women now, the younger generation, they might not realize it as they enter, but they will figure it out very quickly. I mean, again, I entered kind of ignorantly and then realized that. So I don't know if I have anything massively profound, but... I think that's really profound, actually, to just hope that they don't have to fight so hard. Yeah. Or, I mean, at all, obviously, would be ideal. But yeah, yeah to not have to fight. And I feel that for, you know people of color and and every other underrepresented group I I really do it's exhausting it's really really exhausting and I know I'm experiencing a very small percentage of what some of the other underrepresented groups are experiencing so I cannot imagine what that feels like Mm -hmm. for them on a daily basis and I'm very sensitive to that so it's uh yeah I hope it's it's not as as tough in that way 
Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope it actually recorded. We'll <laughs> Me see. too. We'll see. Computer's dead. <laughs> the whole thing's come apart. Yeah.